0: Welcome to the Bee Podcast. The mission of the Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age. To have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey. To listen to stories similar and different than our own. Engage in each other's triumphs and failures. Hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled. The loss we have endured. The joy we have encountered. And the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is the Bee Podcast. Thank you for tuning in to episode four of the Bee Podcast. Today, we hear from Jackie Baker. As a young girl in love, Jackie marries a man and lives a hidden life of sexual and emotional abuse that began and intensified as their relationship progressed. Jackie shares with us one of her most hurtful experiences as a woman today. Her story is unique. However, sexual and emotional abuse is not. Jackie shares her experience with the hope that other women who may experience a relationship with a narcissist can find their hope, destiny, and determination to step out from under the abuse and find her voice. Most importantly, Jackie shares her process in healing from the mental and emotional trauma she faced. Please understand that this conversation includes adult content, not suitable for children under the age of 13. Additionally, this content may trigger some individuals due to the nature of the abuse. Please proceed to listening with caution. Now, if you are ready, please join me in listening to Jackie's heroic story of self-discovery, worth, and love. Hi everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into yet another episode of the bee podcast guys today. I am so excited because I am here with Jackie Baker and she has just an incredible story. And I asked Jackie to come on and share her story and her experience with you and me, her, her experience with uh, emotional and sexual abuse by a partner. And so this is a really difficult topic. And just so that you are aware, there will be conversation that might make you feel uncomfortable. Please know that beforehand. Jackie has an incredible story and I'm so ready for you guys to hear it. So Jackie, hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm so glad that you're here. I was kind of reading over some of your story and earlier today, and I just was, I had goosebumps and like I had tears running down my face and I, I'm just so excited for you guys, for for you guys to hear this incredible story. So Jackie, just start out by telling us a little bit about who you are, like what you do now. What tell us about you?
1: Sure, I'm um, a mom of two. I'm married. Um, we're building a house we've been building for about a year and Mm -hmm. getting close to drywall finally. So, oh my gosh, super excited.
0: (laughs) It's kind of like the glue. It's like coming together, right? You can finally see it.
1: See it. Yeah. The room separated and yeah. (laughs) Good. Well, that's awesome.
0: So Jackie, thank you for agreeing to share your story. Let's just kind of start at the beginning. So talk about maybe your childhood and your life experiences growing up.
1: Until you met this particular partner. So I grew up um, in a Tumwa. I had a normal childhood, um, very supportive parents, very um, supportive friends. Um, you know, just normal teenager. And so I met him when I was um, a senior in high school. And um, did you go to a school? Were you in school together? We were. Okay. Yep.
0: Yep. Um, So, yeah. So, okay. So you've, you've met this particular person, you've had a super happy childhood growing up and what, what kind of, how, how did the relationship kind of start for you guys? Was it pretty pleasant and kind of romantic at the beginning or how, how did that go down?
1: Yeah, it was super intense. Um, He was really sweet and really romantic at the beginning. And um, I was, you know, a naive (laughs) 18 year old and just thought it was, you know, the best thing ever. And um, everything was fine until we moved in together and um, I got pregnant. And then like I had a few signs um, at the very beginning, you know, of just like some emotional, but I just chalked it up to just, you know, his age and, you know,
0: um, was he, so, was, so you guys were about the same age then? Yeah, we were the exact same yes. age. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're the same age. And so how long did you date before you started noticing these kind of red flags that were kind of pushed like aside?
1: A year and a half.
0: Okay. So yep. it seemed,
1: it seemed, so it seemed I mean, pretty normal. It was It pretty normal. Yep. Yep. We had some, a little bit of drama, but nothing that was like. A super big red flag for me at the time, but I was really, you know, I'd never really been taught actively, um, how to love myself. You know, I was raised, you know, in a loving home, but I wasn't actively taught about boundaries or, you know, loving myself. And so I just didn't know what I didn't know. Right.
0: And I feel like that is something that now, and maybe it's just because we have had, like, you have had this experience, like, you've, we've had these experiences in our lives. I feel like now teaching boundaries to young girls is something that is so commonplace, you know, knowing when to say no and having, like, even teaching your boys what, like, when to stop, you know, a no means no.
1: I mean, even. Right. I'm so. Yeah. I'm so glad that that is a dynamic now because, you know, in early 2000s, when this was starting, you know, nothing. N- there was no societal conversation about domestic abuse. There was no conversation about what a healthy relationship looks like. Really, there was no social media. Mm-hmm. There was no, you know, there was no platform for any any of it. So yeah,
0: yeah, that's right. I mean, it was almost a completely different world, and our parents raised us in very different. It, it seemed it's not that long ago, but it seems like it's a totally different world. So sure. Okay. So then Jackie, what, what happened and, and how did this, how did this start happening? So just tell us about,
1: so, um, it really started for some reason when I got pregnant. I don't know if he thought felt threatened or, um, it was just, he felt that I was finally locked down enough to him, you know, to where he could start the abuse. And, um, it was, emotional and sexual abuse, so isolation, name calling, um, disrespect of privacy, like, he would, um, look behind the shower curtain, I wasn't allowed to lock the door when I was showering, um, Mm -hmm. uh, money withholding, you know, the he for the isolation part, he would, um, take my keys for the day or, um, my car would break down and he wouldn't fix it for, you know, um, however long he could get away with it, and then, um, the sexual component was the progression that got worse over time. The okay. isolation and that, I, I mean to say the sexual part escalated quickly so that I realized it was happening.
0: The is- you were able to identify that a little bit a easier little bit, than, like, the gaslighting. Yes,
1: me. yeah, the isolation and, you know, the emotional abuse happened so slightly that I had no idea it was even happening until afterward. And you're still really young at this time. Yeah. I'm 18, 19 years. I had her when I was 19, so I'm still 18 at this point.
0: So yeah, having, knowing that this isn't normal would have been really difficult to identify. Right. So, I mean, can you describe or explain some of the tactics that he would use in order to create this unsafe, really rocky environment?
1: Sure. Um, The sexual component of it was badgering, you know, um, just badgering me all day until I finally gave in. And then it was not consensual sex that we were having. I mean, sometimes I was, had tears running down my face or, you know, and it it didn't, didn't matter just as long as he got, what he wanted or needed, you know, but it, the badgering of it was just wearing me down. And and then he used that tactic in other areas. Um, he also used the tactic of I'm a pretty pretty silent person. Don't I don't say a lot. It takes a lot for me to lose my cool and get upset. Um, but it's like, it was a game to him. He would pick and pick and pick and pick at pick at me all day until I lost my temper. And then he would laugh.
0: Oh my gosh. You know? And
1: so, and so my life and my emotions was just a game to him and just, you know, some, uh, just there for his entertainment and his pleasure.
0: So then Jackie, tell us a little bit about the manipulation tactics that he would use in order to be sexually abusive to you what what would he do what were the things that he did
1: sure um so he used a tactic called uh sexual bartering um bartering things um for sex or sex acts and um that ranged from hey can we order a pizza yeah if i get a blow job um to the severity of hey can you drive me to the hospital because i'm in labor only if i get a hand job and that that happened and you know the only choice was follow through and um, the times that I did resist he made me pay for it. it he was mean and he was um if he didn't get his way he threw a fit like a child and you know so it was sometimes i had to weigh whether the thing was important enough to deal with you know it was it was a never it was a no win situation because you know if i gave in then i had to do this one this one thing if i Resisted, then I had to put up with this other thing. So you know,
0: you can't get away from it. So if Mm-mm. if you resisted in like, if you resisted a some sort of sexual act, then he would use he would be ex- specifically or just way more em- emotionally abusive than. Yes. Make it worse on yep. you that way. Yep. Yep. Thinking back about his about this particular partner, did you? Do you know if he like dated anyone before? Did you know any previous romantic partners that he had
1: had? No, he never had a real long-term one that I, that I knew of.
0: Okay. So it wasn't like you could even reach out to someone to, you know, find out if this was a habit for him. just no. normal...
1: Um, I mean, I know that his, his past was very abusive. Um, and so that maybe could have been a red flag, you know, you just never know because that's not necessarily, you know, a given that if somebody grows up in an abusive household that then they will be an abuser. So, you know, yeah, but, but he did have that backstory. So,
0: which is so common, especially in Southeast Iowa, we have a huge, such, just a such a high rate of domestic abuse and child abuse. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah. So, you're, you're, you're pregnant at this point. And right. when did you start feeling? I mean, I'm certain that you felt unsafe, you know, at the beginning, even at times, but when, when did things really start to escalate for you? And when did you, I mean, talk about some of your like self-talk and your emotional process, just trying to deal with this, your re your current was current reality.
1: Sure. Um, I remember laying in the bathtub. I I got to a point where I would bathe at night after he was asleep so that I could have some privacy. And I remember it escalated a lot when I was, you know, the the more my pregnancy progressed, the more um, the abuse escalated. And so I remember laying in the bathtub, just staring at my belly and thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to get out of this? Because at that point I'd realized, crap, I'm 18 years old. I don't have a job. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't working because he was going to support us. And so, you know, and, um, I've got this kid on the way and, uh, you know, I, I had an amazing support system, but he'd got in my mind so much that I, I couldn't even see that. I couldn't even see that there was many ways out, but that was blinded by, you know, all the tactics that he used.
0: Yeah. And I can imagine feeling a little, I mean, really, really helpless being pregnant Mm -hmm. and not having a job. I mean, did you, did you ever think like, I mean, this is just going to be it or you, did you ever feel like this? Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yep. I was like, this is just my life now. And you know, I, I, I actually, I, you know, we had her and um, that was kind of like a turning point for me for sure. she, I knew now that I had this person to take care of and influence and um, mold with the surroundings that I was giving her. So um, I, could, I married him and, you know, I let it go on um, for a little while longer. It kind of uh, backed off a little bit, the, the sexual component of it, but then the other parts of it escalated um, sure. after I had her. And um, it went on until she was about a year and a half. And then I finally was like, I gotta, I'm gonna, so I, I little by little, I got a job and that was, you know. A big step. A big step and a very he, he was not happy about it. I bet. He, he told yeah. me I wasn't, I, I didn't have any business. I was working for the school district as a teacher associate. I loved it. Mm-hmm. He told me that I, I shouldn't be doing it, that I wasn't smart enough to do it, that I should be home, that I was abandoning our daughter to go to work. Um, and then we moved to, um, this was the biggest thing for me, to feel safe and to feel like in my own surroundings. We moved from the house that we were. I was pregnant in And we moved to my great-grandfather's house who owned the house, but we were renting from him. So finally, I felt like, you know, I'm on my turf Mm -hmm. now. And he um, went away for the weekend for work. And I was like, this feels so good for him not to be around. I'm like, I cannot go back. And she was a year and a half now. and, and, And I just couldn't imagine her growing up in an environment that her mom is treated this way and I didn't want her to feel like this is normal for her to experience I don't ever didn't ever want her to to use this as um, you know a place card for a normal healthy relationship I knew I couldn't show her and teach her a healthy relationship if I wasn't living one so I had I had to leave
0: yeah oh my gosh I can imagine that weekend being just kind of like a wake up, or mm-hmm. not necessarily a wake up, but like a, just like a startling yourself into the reality. Did you, mm-hmm. do you feel like during those, that, that time, that point in your life, do you feel like you were, I imagine it to feel like a haze, like you're just surviving. And living through this haze and this is what I, mm-hmm. this is it now. This is what I have to deal with. I mean, talk about, I mean, I'm, first of all, I think it's incredible that you were like, yeah, no, I'm getting a job. Um, that's a big step. Not, I mean, that's super, uh, just really, really like a, what's the word I'm looking for? really scary to someone who doesn't have, who's, who might feel like he's losing control because that's sure. essentially the the name of the game right. when it comes to abuse is control. Absolutely. Controlling women or, you know, your partner by any means necessary. So, I mean, that's a, that's incredible that you were able to get a job.
1: Yep. I mean, yep. that
0: you got that, you know what I'm saying? Not that you were able to get a job, right. but that you did that. You took that step in getting a job. Um, so do you think that that step kind of, gave you fuel to start treating yourself better and expecting a little bit better.
1: Yeah. And it gave me some kind of a foundation to stand on to where like, if, if I did get out that I could support myself and my daughter and, um, plus it got me out of that environment, you know,
0: right. I I was
1: subbing. I was, hadn't got a full-time position yet. I was subbing, but even those days, I, I, I could at least separate myself from the environment for, you know, six hours or whatever. And you that kind just of kind of looks like a light, you know, just like, oh, well, this is, you know, yeah, gain some some autonomy. Right. Have that back. Get
0: that back for yourself. Mm-hmm. Kind of reclaim. Um, so you talked about some of the support that you had. Um can you kind of explain your support system and how what that looked like while the abuse was going on? I mean did they know about it? Were you, did, did you know that they didn't need to know about it kind of thing? What did that look like?
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, they, my family, they knew that we went on vacation once and he couldn't keep up the charade. You know, he'd keep up the charade if we went over and visited somebody, which was not very often for, you know, a few hours, he could keep up the charade, but we went on vacation with um, my mom and my brother and they were both like, "What the heck? You know, what is happening?" And then I was just at that point. I was still trying to like just survive in it. And so, but my mom was um, really the the constant and the and the ground for me because she was stubborn enough um, to still come over. She'd come over every day, even though it was uncomfortable. She'd come over before he. Um, got home from work so that she could see us and she didn't have, she, I think she knew that I needed to know that somebody was there every day. And so that was huge.
0: Yeah. And how scary that must've been, you know, for your mom even to not necessarily know, to know that some, something's just not right. I don't know what it is. Right. But not know the well, whole story. And to right? You know, have that trust. Like I know that my daughter knows, she knows, how to be treated. Right. But then when you have, when you're dealing with a narcissist, you kind of lose, I mean, you really lose any sort of self efficacy or, you know, confidence Sure. in any way. So that, that had to have been, I'm so glad that you had that support because.
1: Yeah. And I had great friends, you know, I had um, just extended family, great support and like like i said it's not that i didn't have a i had a great mm-hmm. support system but when you're in it and you just have this veil of um of untruths and you just can't see past you know because of the the manipulation and i'm glad you brought up narcissist because i'm an empath mm-hmm. and he was a narcissist and that is a dynamic that is just it was a combined with teenage pregnancy and early yeah. 2000, it was just the the perfect storm because I I could be in a home isolated with the child with the baby, and I there was no Facebook, there was no Snapchat, there was no you know my friends were off to college and my mom came over once a day, but other than that, it was just me and her and then him when he was home and and that was it. So, while you were
0: at home this, during the, his work time while you were, were at home, can you just kind of talk about what, what went on in your brain during the day? What, what did you do to survive? What, what was your self-talk like?
1: Yeah, it was just, it was just being the best mom that I could be to her. She just really got me through because I had such purpose in being her mom. Um, I remember being scared and being like, oh crap, what am I gonna do? And just experiencing the abuse and the trauma, but I didn't have self-talk until until much later, after way after I left. So yeah.
0: Okay. So it's just I mean, you are just straight up surviving and right. what an incredible dynamic that had to have been with your personality and his combined.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um
0: so let's, I guess, fast forward through until the end. What, what was it for you? What, how did it end?
1: So, yeah, like I said, it, it, I, I had that weekend, um, where he's away and I felt like myself again for the first time in, you know, after about 24 hours that he was gone, I was like, man, I feel so much better without him around and I can, I'm in this house now that's my grandpa's I can kick him out and I can stay here and we'll be fine. It was scary. It was scary because he had never been physically abusive, but I didn't know if that would have been a possibility had I brought, you know, made him leave. And so that was Mm -hmm. really scary. So I actually physically placed when he showed up and I told him I wanted the divorce. I actually, I had already, already put her in bed and I stood in a doorway kind of separating him and her, you know, and it, it was so surreal because I told him that I wanted a divorce and he just kind of cocked his head at me and was like, really? And I said, yep. And my like, you know, my my heart is in my throat and I'm just ready to puke. Mm -hmm. And he picks up his bag and he turns around and walks out the door. And I went and locked the door and I fell to the ground sobbing. It was just such a like, oh my gosh, that could have been. I knew that it would, could have been such a work m- much worse experience and it wasn't. Um, but then the next day he came out, came w- with his posse, <laughs> his family. And, mm-hmm. um, my, one of my mom's friends came to, they just showed up. They didn't even say that they were coming. And so I called mom and I said, Hey, they're here to get his stuff apparently. And she was further away. So she sent her friend over who lived close to me and we stood there and he took everything in the house. I said you can take whatever you you want, but I just need what's what's my daughter's and to take care of her and he literally emptied the house. I didn't have a bed, I didn't have a dresser, I didn't have any furniture in the living room. I have a picture of the living room completely empty with a um, one of those gaming chairs. You know, from when we yeah, were yep, like the round, yep, uh, yeah, the, like, yeah, carpeted yeah, one. About.
0: Yep, yep. That's, and then you can like roll back in Right, yeah. that
1: was mine from um, when I was a teenager. So that stayed, <laughs> but there was nothing else in the house, and um, and I didn't care. I didn't care. He could take whatever he wanted. I, as long as he was gone, I didn't care.
0: I am. I mean, the incredible amount of bravery that it took for you to make that stance. I mean, I can just imagine what it, what it looked like. I can see it in my brain, but I can't imagine the incredible amount of fear. And, you know, because you wouldn't, you wouldn't know if he would be physical, physically violent. I mean, because, I mean, really sexual abuse is physical violence just in a different way. Yep. It's like, it, it just is crazy to me that men that, they draw the line at physical violence. Like that's something that they just won't do. You know what I'm saying?
1: Yes. Like what kind of game are you playing? Yeah. Right. And I, I hate to say this, but I felt it at the time. I sometimes wished that he would hit me because then I could go to somebody and see like, see, this is what's happening. And that's, you know, like, I don't feel that way now. You know, I'm glad that that didn't happen to me. Mm-hmm. But in the moment I was like, man, if I could just show somebody what's happening here. Because then, then you have the proof of it. It's like, right. I, and and you wouldn't even have to say anything.
0: Like people yep. would just exactly. know. And that would be so much, it would have been way easier to.
1: But maybe it wouldn't have been easier because I would have been more yeah. fearful. Who, who knows, who knows. But right. but luckily right. nothing happened right. and he just, you know. So then, um. I met my husband, um, like three or four months later and he was amazing. He's is, and has been, um, my soft spot to fall my safety. You know, I just knew as soon as I met him, I'm like, here, he's, he's the person. He's the person. Yeah. And, um, he's been my daughter's father. I mean, she's always, he's, she's the only, he's the only daddy that she's ever known. Um, really, I mean, she knows that, you know, the other, but not in the same way not not the daddy you know not the comforting yeah. you know playful loving yep.
0: consoling mm-hmm. Yeah. yep
1: and and now he he adopted her she doesn't have much of a relationship with him and so it's been okay yeah that's that's so another story what, <laughs> yeah right
0: so so then he so then this partner of yours kind of gave up since he couldn't control you why would he want mm-hmm. something else to ta- kind of hang on to as well do you think that
1: yeah he um I don't know I'd rather not get into that because that's not really my story that's more her story sure okay and so I don't want to tell her story because I've always been I've never told her anything bad about him even though there were many things and I and I could have but he I wanted her to eventually make up her own mind about who he was and the relationship yeah. that she, so I always facilitated it, but then they moved to Texas and then never had anything to do with her. So I brought up, Hey, do you want to, okay. you know, have, have Adam, my husband adopt her. And he said, yeah. And it, that's how that happened. But, but yeah, it was amazing. And it was freeing for me. This was awesome. after um, I did the healing. So I, um, you know, I had this dynamic still with him a little bit with co-parenting, but then after the adoption, my husband said, I'll contact mm-hmm. him if we ever need to on the behalf of Marissa. And it was, it was just, you know, freeing. It was so freeing that I, cause after the healing, after the healing, I, I did better. Yeah. With dealing I was with just going to ask you how that capacity that we had, but it just the adoption just took it a step further from me. because even though I could deal with him, I didn't have to anymore. And it that was so nice. It was such a gift.
0: Yeah. You can share that. You yeah. can share that burden and not feel so alone because you felt right. so isolated for so long having yep. to take all that on. Um, so talk about your healing experience. Yeah. What, that's
1: what I'm I mean, excited to talk yeah.
0: about. Yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk about that.
1: Okay. Um So I'm going to throw some, you know, I've done so much research and, um, and everything. So I'm going to throw some, some things in there mixed in with my personal experience.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so for a lot of people, you can bury it and live the trauma or the abuse and live a relatively normal life. Um, but sooner or later, it's going to start knocking on your door and, um, not that burying it for a short time is bad. I think that you have to to some extent to get yourself in a safe place away from the abuser you know you kind of have to just be in survival mode still for a little while because for the healing process you need to feel safe you need to be in an environment that you feel comfortable to to break down because you're going to have to you know rake through some stuff that you need to feel safe for um Mm -hmm. so the biggest thing then is to answer the knock on the door because when you ignore the, the trauma, it can come out. If if some people choose unhealthy coping skills, um, it could come out as anxiety and depression, um, migraines, negative self-talk, unexplained weight gain, ulcers, autoimmune diseases, mood problems. Um, And in my opinion, in research, that's your body's way of telling you like, Hey man, you got to, you got to deal with something here that there's something here that you, you need to, you know, deal with. And if you don't deal with it, you get trapped in motion and, you know, it's your body's going to let you know, hey, something is not right that you need to, you need to address.
0: Your emotional health is so connected. So did you experience any of that physical I mean, did you try to just kind of bury it like you said? Yep. And okay, so yeah. talk about that process.
1: Because, um, you know, I was happy with my husband. I, I, I also just lack of um, education. I had no idea that I even had to, you know. So I started getting, in my early 20s, I started getting really bad migraines and I gained a bunch of weight with no um, no really reason. I'd, I'd already... Um, married Baker. We lived in a home that I was super comfortable in. Um, uh, We had my second child, and now all of a sudden I'm having um, nightmares and um, flashbacks, like home video type flashbacks of, of the experience, just randomly throughout the day. Something would remind me of something, and then I would have this, it was like a movie played, in my mind so vividly and um, anxiety and depression I had the migraines got so bad that I was bedridden right for two to three days throughout the week and so we tried every I had no idea what was happening I I didn't know that you had to to heal from this I just thought well that was a terrible experience that I had to go through and now I just have to you know move on and, you know, live with it for the rest of my life with these nightmares and, and, um, flashbacks. And, um, we, I was hospitalized in Chicago for migraines. I couldn't figure out what was wrong. I was on every single medication. Um, and by the time I was 28, I had ulcers and a fatty liver. I don't know if it was from all the medication. I don't know if it was from, you know, just another way my body was manifesting the, Hey, you know, (laughs) can you something deal with wrong. this please? Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, that's how I knew something, something had to, I started meditating. Cause I was like, man, what I got to figure out, you know, I've, I've I'd exhausted all of these medical, you know, ways to treat these migraines. I was like, I got, so I started researching, you know, meditate, I started meditating and it came to me in the meditation. Like I, maybe the, maybe it's, you need to work through what happened to you. I was like oh okay <laughs> so um yeah my first tool was a book um I just stumbled upon it at the library I was just walking around um and looking for something and for some reason I was just drawn to this book and I took it off the shelf and I read it and I checked it out and it's called Unworthy by Anelia Rufus and okay. um In that book, I learned about addressing and then releasing trauma. I learned about the shadow self, negative self-talk. She speaks so frankly um, about her own childhood trauma that I related to it, you know, because she was, she was talking about, it was a different topic, but it was trauma and it was abuse and how it would manifest and then how you have to, to heal and release it. Um, so I really, really recommend that book for sure. Unworthy by Um, Anneli Rufus. mm -hmm. Yep. Okay.
0: And then, so, okay, talk about the shadow self. What, what, what is that?
1: So the shadow self is a figment of your psyche that you create subconsciously to shield your true self, your soul from the abuse and or trauma when it happens. You don't even know that it happens. It just, it's a coping mechanism. Just like if you know, you started drinking or using drugs or, you know, it's just, it's an option of coping that you don't even know that it happens. Um, And then, then this is where um, self-talk or negative self-talk comes from. Your shadow self acts as a shield and a sponge of the abuse. It's a replica of you. So you think these nasty things that you say about yourself um, is just yourself you know, calling yourself names and everything when actually it's this sponge that had been soaking up this abuse and all these things so just long. echoing back at you, you know, because your true self, your soul, is it's, it's pure and it's light and it doesn't naturally say those things to you. So that's an indication that you have a shadow. I mean, of course you can have negative self-talk from other things, but, um, uh,
0: when dealing with abuse.
1: When dealing with abuse yeah. and, that, and and identifying a shadow self, negative self-talk is, is a huge indicator that you have created a shadow self. For, I mean,
0: anyone who's listening, uh, I mean, definitely, if you are experiencing this, I yeah. will definitely put that, the title and the author so that you can yeah. easily access that and have...
1: Yeah, it's you know. a great book because, I mean, I'm elaborating on the shadow self, but there are so, so many... Um, ways in that book that you can heal you know and, and so many descriptors that you don't even know about your own mind that it does right. things and it holds on to things that you don't even know it happens you know so Until yeah, that book those, is amazing are right
0: those those memories that flashback so okay one of like as i was reading through kind of your story i really talk about your journal. This is, this is my favorite, this is my favorite part. Okay. What, what's another way that you coped with this journal?
1: Yeah, that was my second tool was journaling. Um, So one thing I forgot to talk about with the shadow self is this book recommends that you, to release the shadow self, you visualize, you could do meditate or just close your eyes and visualize, two of yourself standing together and one is locked away in a castle or a cage or something and the other, the shadow self, walks up to it and unlocks it and your true self needs to walk up to it, give it a hug, tell it how much you appreciate it for protecting you because that's what it did. It it protected you in a time where it would have created, you know, these scars that maybe you couldn't come back from. So it's a really good coping mechanism, you know, as long as you can address it and release it, it's not good to hang on to forever. It's not meant, you're not meant to create this false self and live that way. You're meant to live your true self. And so you need to acknowledge and give that visualize, giving your shadow self a hug and then say, thank you. And I'm good from here, you know, so it can, um, you can release so that's the how you release, release. the shadow yeah. self um but the journaling um i wrote down every single detail of what happened and for this if you're going to use this tactic and i chose to do it all at once because i didn't want to string it out you know i'd already spent all this time yeah so and i don't think I about watch, it So right, I sent again the kids away for the weekend i really recommend that because you're going, you're going to face some hard things and it's going to be like, can be like going through it a second time. And so, um, I recommend getting comfy, you know, being in comfortable clothes, having teas and comforting things around you, comfy textiles, you know, because you're going to need pain management. You can get headaches like that. If you're dealing with something and your body's like, I don't want to, you know, um, so yeah, I wrote down yeah. every single thing and I chose to, um, have a support person. Um, my husband was there and I chose to share it with him. You don't, wouldn't need to, but I chose that because we had that kind of relationship and I wanted him to know, you know, exactly what had happened. And, uh, yeah, it was good to like, yeah, it was really hard. Like I would have just bawling and headaches and, you know, my body yeah. hurt, like I had the flu and um, it was like my sick to my stomach, and you know, it was just recalling all of the things was super hard, but it felt good even just writing them down just to get them out of my body.
0: Yeah, to get it out mm-hmm. like a f- first step in many of the steps that you've taken right. in trying to heal yep. your body. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Okay, so with your journal. After you finished your weekend and you had this incredible experience with your husband, and he was able to know what exactly you endured that entire time. Mm-hmm. What next?
1: So um, after um, the journal, I had I had never had really angry feelings about it. Um, is something that I never allowed myself to feel, I guess. But after the journaling, I was so mad and I was so angry. For one, that it happened to me in the first place, for two, that I hung on to it and experienced it for so long. So, um, he's my husband suggested that um we take my 22 rifle and we shoot the crap out of it. And so that's what we did. And, um, how good did that feel? It like- felt so good. It was literally like attacking and mutilating what had happened to me. And I, it was an automatic. And so I just kept shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting it. And, um, I stopped and Adam, took the rifle out of my hand and I just fell to the ground bawling. It just felt yeah. so good to get that out of my body and to visually see this experience being mutilated and, you know, um, just destroyed. So that was making
0: a conscious effort and yep. knowing that this is not, this is over. This yep. part of my life is over and I don't have to revisit this. I don't have to live in this constant state of, fear even Mm -hmm. or
1: experience like
0: regurgitation yeah regurgitation is a
1: great word yeah it is because it's like it's like this thing happened to you and then it just keeps bubbling up in Mm ways in your life that you're like man I didn't expect that to you know to remind me of that or did
0: did I mean smells or mm -hmm. like types of days like you know when you walk outside And it's like a beautiful, like crisp morning. And you're like, oh, yep. It's like a bulldog football season. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, so I can imagine, yeah, Yeah. I can just imagine like either like smells and, and like the time of day even can trigger a, an awful memory. Right. So I love, I love that you, you were intentional about writing down a detailed account of all of your trauma and then destroyed it. Mm -hmm. Yep. So so then after this, after you like shot the crap out of it, then what, what was next in your process?
1: Um, so then we were walking back with it um, back to the house and I was just feeling so raw and we walked by a burn barrel that we had on our property and um, either Adam or I said, let's burn it. And I was like, cause I didn't want to hold on to it as this visual reminder i didn't want it in the house i didn't want it around me so we lit it on fire and it was so good to see it just disappearing into this ash and then um i kind of took some time to regroup took a nap just comforted myself cuz i was drained at this point cuz we did oh, this all that. in one weekend
0: yeah
1: and um and then later on, right at the end of the weekend, I was meditating. And I had this visualization of me cupping the ashes in my hand, and then handing it over to Jesus. And because for me, that was important to me because of my faith and my relationship with Jesus. It was important for me to hand over in, in, in my mind, not only to see it physically disappear, but in my mind for it to be, you know, away and let, let yep. go. Yeah. And it, I literally felt this weight lifted off my chest. It was like, there was a dumbbell on my chest and it just, it just, it just went away. And it, it, I breathe. could, finally yes. Breathe. And then after that weekend, I didn't have anymore. I had a few, um, menstrual migraines, but you know, nothing like I was two to three times, um, a week, no more debilitating, no more more debilitating ones, no more flashbacks, no more nightmares. I wasn't scared of him when I had to deal with him, you know, in a, in a co-parenting aspect, I, I didn't, I could deal with him better because I didn't have that trigger and that didn't have that, you know, reaction.
0: You were able to kind of take back what was yours and reclaim your life. Yep. And right. what an incredible weekend. And to to do that, to actually do that, mm-hmm. I would encourage anyone who is listening, if you have been the victim of any sort of abuse to be deliberate about your healing process, because yes. I mean, what, I mean, Jackie, what advice would you give to anyone who is experiencing something Similar or any type of abuse, like speak to that a little bit. Sure,
1: sure. I mean, uh, this was my process, and I don't think that this should be a tutorial, you know, for for everybody to follow. But I think that the first step is recognizing that you've buried something, um, recognizing how it's manifested in your body and how how it's affecting your life, and just recognizing that hey, I have this to deal with, and then finding your own path. I mean. I think once you set that intention, I think the path will just show up to you, and you'll know exactly. Because I didn't have an intention to to seek out that book. I didn't have an intention to to burn it or shoot. It's just what happened. Mm-hmm. And I set the intention to heal and to get better, and then the rest just be deliberate about that. My place intention about yeah healing, be, yeah taking yeah time. just be because yeah, just you're taking the time yeah you're worth. That you are in, yep, and that's what I would say to someone who's going through that. If if, no matter what part of the process, if you're still in it, if you're healing, you know, man, you're suppressing things, if you're in the middle of your healing process, is that you are worth being free and feeling peace and not being haunted by demons and not being tortured by anybody else's influence. Yeah. yeah, You deserve that freedom for sure. It's, and it's a remarkable, the freedom that the healing process gives you. It's, it's, it's absolutely, I never thought that, that I could live this way. I never thought that I wouldn't ever think about that part of my life again, unless it came, you know, it was even preparing for this podcast. It was, it was strange to like go through and actively recall those, those memories. I haven't thought about that in years. And that speaks to the the healing process and what freedom it gives you.
0: I'm so glad that you are, were able to, I mean, when you're talking about handing the ashes to Jesus, like I even just got a little reclumped while you were saying that, because I mean, what an incredibly powerful visual to, to just hand it over and Mm -hmm. kind of breathe, like, like you said, have that dumbbell off of your chest and just be able to breathe and kind of reclaim, not kind of, but definitely reclaim who you are and who you are intended to be.
1: Right. And I think that part of your walk of life is, is, you know, that maybe you have these experiences, but you don't have to carry that forever. You know, if you experience something that was awful, you don't have to carry it around. You are not required to hang on to that and try to make something of it or, you know, and, and, and just deal with it. Oh, this happened to me. And now I, you know, you don't have to do that. You, you don't have to carry it.
0: And you shouldn't.
1: And you shouldn't. Because
0: it can be suffering as we have heard with your story. Mm -hmm. I mean, Mm -hmm. holy cow. So what would be your encouragement then to someone who is going through this and maybe is still in the thick of their abuse what what would your words of encouragement be to her
1: i would tell her to find your worth and find your bravery and pay attention to the people around you cuz they're there even if even if you've been isolated for so many years there's somebody somewhere that you could lean on and reach out to. And my favorite um, resource is womenshealth.gov because they break it down by state um, and they have a quick exit link on their page. It it follows you down the page and you could exit out of it. If your abuser walks in the door, I like that, that aspect. And I like how, you know, it breaks it down by state so you can find, um, but a lot, for a lot of people, I think it's it's not those resources, which those can be helpful and do your research, but it's going to be your family, but it's going to be you. It's going to be finding your worth and your bravery and deciding to make a stand. It, whether you're in it or yes, you're yeah. healing from it or, you know, because it, it's, it's... And that mm-hmm. first step has
0: to be terrifying. Yes. Like, I, I keep seeing you in the doorway that first step is, I mean, just like, mm-hmm. like you're frozen yep. in fear, but to do it, yeah. I mean,
1: you have to, yeah. especially when you have children. whatever that first step, I is. mean, you have to do it for your worth and, and everything. But for me, my biggest thing at the time was, I don't want my child to, to think that this is okay. And I knew it wasn't okay. And so yeah. I, you know, I had to do something about it.
0: Oh my gosh, Jackie. Thank (laughs) you. That's so much to take in, but it's going to be so incredible for so many people to hear your story. And I really am hoping that this is helpful to someone who is maybe experiencing a piece of abuse in their lives, or maybe they have been, maybe they just have, maybe if you're listening, you have, you are also dealing with a narcissist and you are burying those feelings and those thoughts that maybe this isn't right because you are dealing with a narcissist. Like, please mm-hmm. reach out. I would love to be able to talk with you and use Jackie as a resource to Absolutely. get the help, get you the help that you need. Um, but Jackie, is there anything else that you want to share with, with listeners?
1: Yeah, I would say, you know, I hope, I hope for that too, because I've never spoken publicly about any. I've never talked about this in to to this extent um, before. My family and my friends know of it to varying degrees, um, but if I can help one person who has felt or is feeling the way that I've felt, because it's so lonely and it's so sad and and just Lonely is the best word, you know, and if, so if I can help one person, then, then that'll be worth it.
0: I'm so glad that you were brave enough to exit that situation. And then you were able to share because I, as awful as it is, I think we all have these experiences in our lives for purpose and your purpose is so much greater than that experience. And I'm so glad that you were able to share that with us so that it can be enlightening. Yes. Oh my gosh. Thank you for, for bringing your your view, your experience to the table, because people need to hear that people need, I mean, these things are more, they're more normal or they're not, they're more common than we think. And so for
1: sure, well, thank you so much for giving everyone a platform to talk about so many different topics. And it's just, it's so great to have a platform, you know? So thank you for that.
0: I'm really excited about what we're doing. And Jackie, I am so glad that we were able to connect. So me too. Yeah. Jackie, thank you so much for being a part of this. Um, we will definitely, you're going to have to come back and share other pieces of your story. You have just such an incredible life and so much to give and so much to offer. So thank you for your expertise on this particular subject. Guys, if you have any questions or you need support in any way, please reach out um, to me and I can get you in touch with Jackie and we, we really just want for, for all women to understand their worth and know that this is, you don't have to live this way. If you are, thank you guys for listening. We will catch you on another episode of the Bee podcast very soon. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bee podcast. Please like, and subscribe to our podcast and make sure to screenshot this week's episode to share on your social media in order to bring awareness to this project join our community on Facebook at The Bee Podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time for more inspiring stories told by real women. Wishing you peace and love. I'm Cammy Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.